0: Well, good morning, ZCC. I am glad to be back for a second message in a series from the Older Testament book of Esther. Last Sunday, we looked at chapter 2 for a message about unsung heroes. Unsung heroes are those people who are substantial in and of themselves, but who take a back seat to encourage somebody else. You understand that, don't you? They make the boss look good. They play second fiddle really well. You've got them, I've got them. I hope you've taken time to thank them, or at least one of them. Maybe honor him or her, because you owe where you are now to those people who have been your unsung heroes, and so do I. Mordecai was the unsung hero in the story that we come to in Esther, helping her reach God's potential, the calling that God had laid upon her life to be the person who would save her people, the Jewish people. That's what she was. Wives and husbands play that role all the time. She stays at home to raise the kid. He trots all over the globe. Or he's Mr. Mom, and she's breaking through the glass ceiling. Happens all the time. In fact, single moms are probably my favorite people, my favorite unsung heroes. They are seldom in the spotlight. They are seldom noticed or thanked. Well, this morning, I want to move on to the woman in the spotlight, the woman who steps up. She is what I'm calling the frontline hero. Now, we may be tempted to call her the superhero, according to our own culture, but I won't do that. Superheroes are a myth. (laughs) They just don't exist. Heroes of any kind are just men and women whose knees are knocking, who feel inadequate for what they have to do, who have to be prodded, who can't imagine stepping up, but they step up anyway, and to their surprise, great things happen. (laughs) They happen, and if they're smart, they know it's not all about them. It's not all because of them. There's others involved. And Esther is a frontline hero. Let's get caught up with her story before we turn to chapter 4. It's about 450 years before the birth of Christ. You might remember that. And a man named Xerxes is the king of Persia. He is a ruthless pagan king who uses people all the time. And now he controls the Jews. He owns the Jewish people. God's people were captured by the Babylonians about 100 years before this time, and now Persia is the dominant empire on the earth in that area, and they have conquered Babylon, so the Jews belong to him. You might remember that chapter 1, Queen Vashti has insulted the king, and she's gone. She's out of the picture. No more. We come to chapter 2, and the king is looking for a new wife, and he chooses Esther, a young Jewish woman, the cousin of Mordecai, whom Mordecai has adopted because her parents died. He is an unsung hero and he is trusted by Xerxes. Chapter 3 Haman enters the picture, a man who works his way into Xerxes' favor, and Haman hates Mordecai, who will not bow down to him. Mordecai is not going to bow to this man, so he hates him. So Haman, and this is the way it worked Haman pays the king for the authority to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, which, of course, would be his prime subject, Mordecai. Now, there's an important detail going on here behind the scenes, and that is that people know that Mordecai is a Jew. They don't know that Esther is. He told her not to talk about that. So the decree has gone out that a year from now, we're going to kill all the Jews. Can you imagine? It goes out in every language of the empire. It is public. It's like, it's like ISIS establishing a deadline. They're going to kill these people. That's life in the big city of those days. Let me take you to Esther chapter 4, start with the first verse. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Mordecai comes to the place outside of Esther's window, and Esther sees him out there, and she immediately sends somebody out with decent clothing because he's got all this stuff torn. His clothing clothing is in shambles, and she doesn't know why. She lives in a bubble. So Mordecai sends the messenger back to her with a message about the planned extermination of their people. Their people, the Jewish people, God's people. And he challenges her to step up. You've got to step up, Esther. And it's at this point that the real hero emerges. She's no superhero. Here's how I know she's no superhero. She's a real hero because real heroes count the cost. Now, I know there are times when we need to jump in the water to save the guy. I, I get that. I understand that. Sometimes there's no, no chance to pull back and consider it. But most of the time when God calls us, we have time to think about it. We have time to pray about it. We have time to consult with our friends about it. We, we have time before we jump in. We, we say, wait a minute, I need to think about this. I need to pray about this. In fact, that's what heroes, real heroes do. They know that. They know that they'd better count the cost. And that's why they take time. They're not going in blind to know what's going on. They, they want to count the cost because failure to count the cost leads to defeat, and it leads to defeat that is mammoth in size because God calls us to large, large purposes. The callings are large, so if there's failure, it's very large as well. That's why Proverbs 29 tells us, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. In other words, you better count the cost. That's what you got to do. And Esther does it. Esther counts the cost. In fact, she she has to get caught up on what's going on because as I said, she lives in a bubble. She doesn't know about the edict. She doesn't know what's going on with Haman and her her adopted father, Mordecai. She lives in a bubble. So she sends this guy out, this messenger out with, with decent clothing for Mordecai, but he refuses the clothing because he's in sackcloth and ashes. He's mourning over the future death of his people, including himself. And he takes the messenger and he sends the messenger back to, to, to Esther and he says, you better go see the king and beg for mercy. <laughs> that, that's why you're there. You, you better go. You've got to do something, Esther. You're the only one who can do something to save your people. But You know, that's a problem. That's where the rub comes. I go down to verse 11 of chapter 4. She says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Now, uh, let, me, let me beg your memory a little bit here. You remember Vashti? <laughs> yeah, Vashti is a picture of how important the queen is in this setting. The queen is little more than the king's favorite for the moment. She is eye candy. She has every reason to wonder if she's still his favorite. 30 days have passed and he hasn't called for her. In other words, I could lose my life. I, I, I could lose my, my place in the grand scheme of things. I could lose my nice clothings. I could lose my servants or my chariots or whatever. And you know what? She's right. She could. That's what real heroes do, though. They count the cost. But they don't quit. Now now listen, they want to quit. Real heroes are real people. They want to quit. You don't think that Esther wanted to quit? You don't think she was frightened by this? Now, that's the myth of a superhero. I'm talking about a real hero. If you don't want to quit when the calling of God comes to you, it's probably because your calling is too small in your estimation, and you haven't counted the cost of that calling. Because if you have, you're going to say, wait a minute, I don't think I want to do this. It's almost like the cost of following Jesus. He says, you give up your plans. You... You lay down your life if you're going to follow me. You stay married or you stay single or you tithe, you work hard, you be generous. You don't quit because God knows that real heroes, they want to quit. So they need to be prodded. Sometimes just with the knowledge that this is what's best for you. In other words, Esther, if you don't do something, you're going to get it too. You and your family, you're going to die. You'll never make it through this. Verse 14, the first part says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family's, father's family will perish. Is he appealing to her self-interest? Yes, he is. Is that wrong? No, it's not. You know, the promise of pardon in heaven appeals to my self-interest. And the promise of comfort and fulfillment and joy That's something that I want. So in a sense, that's for my self-interest. And isn't that what God promises to people who walk with Jesus and follow him? And isn't that why most of us placed our faith in him? Because of things that are good for us. Now now I know, we live in a world that is only interested in me and what happens with me. So this can be dangerous, I get that, because self-interest can become our only interest. And that's what's going on in our land today. It's only what counts for me that matters. Self-interest can become our only interest. But it can also be used for good. Here's what I'm going to use with my, my grandson and with anybody else who will listen for that matter. Time magazine cover story, early and extensive interaction. This is a couple of years ago. But, but it said essentially that early and extensive action, interaction with pornography renders many men unable to take part in a relationship that is legitimate and good. Now, does that appeal to the self-interest of the man you're talking to? Sure it does. That's not wrong. That's not wrong. Does it appeal to my, my, the, the good of my grandson? Absolutely it does. Or my granddaughter? Sure it does. Because you fool with this stuff and you may well get to a point where you can't have a normal relationship in terms of the other sex. Does that appeal to the self? Yes, it does. But that's okay. That's okay. Don't be afraid to use self-interest. But you want that prodding to also include the bigger picture of God's story and where the person fits into it. And, And essentially what he's saying is, Esther, this is why you're here. This is why you're the queen. Because God has you for this purpose, for this time. The second part of verse 14 is familiar to many of us. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. In other words, somebody else put you here. (laughs) You know, I I, I know you worked hard and you went to the right school and you got the grades and you kept your nose clean, but it was more than your effort that's behind you getting to this place. The, The sovereign God put you in this place and in fact he used your unsung heroes to get you here especially Mordecai don't forget that that's why you're here that's as true for us as it was for Esther you didn't choose your birthplace you didn't choose the place where you were born you didn't choose your adopted family if you were adopted you didn't choose those unsung heroes who have helped you get to the place where you are right now to be used by God The message of Esther is that God, listen to this, this is really important. God has placed you where He's placed you to make the difference He's designed you to make. Let me say it again because this is really important for all of us. God has placed you where He's placed you to make the difference He's designed you to make. You're here on purpose. You're in that school on purpose. You're in that job on purpose. You're in that home on purpose. You're in that relationship on purpose. That's what real heroes begin to realize. Yeah, they count the costs, and they don't quit, and they get help. That's a part of being a real hero. Get help, first of all, from God. You know? and, and when I say that, I realize that help may be a, a too shallow a word, may not be adequate for this, because if the cost is overwhelming, as it was for Esther and is for so many other people We are being called to a great calling, and not help is what we want. We want rescue. We need to be rescued by God from all the forces that will move against us, including those within ourselves. And what we find here in Esther is that they are pleading with God for rescue. That's what they're looking for, and they're pleading with God. You can see it the way they're dressed. Remember Mordecai. He tore his clothes Put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. Why? Because he's broken. He knows he can't do this himself. It's a great calling. I have come to realize, to my regret, that I don't normally want a great calling. (laughs) Maybe you know what I mean before me saying any more than that. I want one that I can manage. You know, with my training, my personality, my background, my experience, I, I want to be able to manage it so that I can build my plan and I can say, oh, God, bless this plan, won't you? It's my plan, not yours. I'm going to do it, but I'm just adding on. would not you bless it? I also have a theology that misunderstood can bring me to a place where I, I don't plead. I'm basically reformed in my theology, and, and a misunderstanding of that th- theology remains, leaves little room for pleading with God. In fact, all too often we get to thinking that God's going to do what God's going to do. So why would I plead with God? That's a mistake. That's not what Reformed theology is all about, but that's what we sometimes take it to. Now, I think Esther's pleading. In fact, you go to verse 15 and you see this reply. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai in verse 16 Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. Three days of fasting, day and night. This is not, well, I'm going to skip lunch today because I'm fasting. (laughs) No, three days, day and night of fasting. No water, no food. This is pleading with God. This is on her face before God, pleading with God. You may know that fasting in the Bible is to help us focus on seeking God's face, especially in times of great challenge like this one. It's a way for desperate desperate people to underline their desperate need for God to act. We can't do this if you don't act, Lord, and so fasting comes in as a picture of that. Real heroes do that. They get help from God. But they also get help from other people. Bible knows nothing about the solo Christian life. It just doesn't come up. It's not there. The Bible has this underlying assumption that we will be vitally connected to each other. That's what the Bible expects. So Esther challenges Mordecai to call the Jews together in Susa so that they can fast with her, stand shoulder to shoulder and pleading with God for rescue. So it's not just Esther, it's the others in Susa who know about this and can come together to fast and commit themselves. Verse 16 again Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Is that because God needs numbers that he's like a politician who looks at the polls and makes his decision based on the numbers? No. <laughs> That's not the God of the Bible. Is it because his people need to be rallied and need to be a part of what he does? Yes, he does it is. They need to care. They need to see that without his intervention, they are toast. They need to be a part of the cure. Is it because real heroes need other people? Absolutely, without a question. We've got this Lone Ranger kind of idea, but even the Lone Ranger needed (laughs) Tonto. Even he couldn't do it himself. Nobody can do it all by themselves. Everybody needs other people. We may not like that. We may feel weak when we say that. We may not like to show it. We may not, not like to think it's even true. But that's how God has wired us. Go back into the Older Testament and remember Moses standing up on the hillside with his hands raised to God over his troops. He needs his troops. His hands are raised to God because he needs God. And remember, his arms are lifted up by a soldier on either side because they get tired and he stops praying. He needs them. We all do, every single one of us. Think about the Apostle Paul in prison. He writes and tells Timothy that he needs him, and and, oh yeah, bring John Mark with you. I need him too. (laughs) If you remember, Mark's the guy who flunked out of Paul's class in uh, missionary travels and went back home early. But now he needs him, or Jesus pleading in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes three close associates with him. They fall asleep. And three times he said, wake up. Why? Because he needs them. Jesus needs them. You need them. I need them. You need them to keep your marriage on track. You need them to start that company. You need them to to, to reach out to your neighbors to teach that class, to lead your family, to say no to the enemy. We, We need others You need your brothers and sisters to stand beside you in the calling that God gives to you so you can be a real hero. Nobody's looking for superheroes. Everybody knows they're phony. They're looking for real heroes. Men and women who count the cost. Men and women who don't quit. Men and women who get help. That's what we're looking for. And Esther did all of that. She changed the world. Jews, your Jewish friend will celebrate Purim this March. In the springtime, every year. Why? Looking back on how God rescued his people through Esther, supported by Mordecai and the rest of the Jews in Susa. Jackie Robinson did that. He was a student at Pasadena Junior College. He met a preacher, a Methodist preacher called Carl Downs, it was his name. Downs knew that Jackie was a Christian and taught him that exploding in anger was not the Christian answer to injustice. Uh, But he explained that a life truly dedicated to Christ was not submissive. On the contrary, it was heroic. This is rich. Downs eventually led Jackie to a deeper faith in Christ, and he began to see that the path to justice would not be done with fists and fury, but with love and restraint. You may have seen the movie 42. If you did, you'll remember as it opens, we see Jackie Robinson sitting in the office of Branch Rickey, Brooklyn Dodgers general manager. And he hears the incredible news that Ricky wants him to play for the Dodgers. This has never happened before for people of color. Then Ricky sets out that that vicious variety of bigotry that Jackie will face from white hotel managers, restaurant waiters, and fellow ballplayers, insults he will have to face with dignity. That's where the story ends with it, but that's not the whole story. The whole story is that Ricky knew that Robinson shared his faith so, Ricky pulled out a book, a copy of a book by Giovanni Papini called Life of Christ. And he flipped to the passages where Papini discusses the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that, don't you? Where Jesus refers to turning the other cheek as the most stupefying in Branch Ricky's mind and Papini's mind of Jesus' revolutionary teachings. Someone attacks you, you turn the other cheek. Ricky's faith told him that injustice had to be fought wherever it was found. And as for Jackie Robinson, he believed that God had chosen him for such a time as this, for this noble purpose and calling. Then, the power of God, he opened the doors, Jackie Robinson did, to people of color in ways that he could not have imagined. That, my friends, is a real hero. That's a real hero. Moms, your calling is too big for you. Your kids need a real hero. Church leaders, don't think that you can fulfill your calling in what you've brought to the table. That's not enough. Dads, business leaders, Christian teens in a self-serving world, senior citizen at the end of life, people around us need real heroes, and that's God's calling for you and for me. Don't be looking for somebody else to step up. They might step up if you step up. You stand to the calling Of God. You plead with Him to make you equal to the task. You surround yourself with people who walk with you and help you in that process and speak to your heart and your mind, who stand behind you. And you see the glory of God manifested because you're a real hero. You may not be known by many people, but in God's category, you're a real hero. I hope you're thinking of a spot where you might be a real hero. I hope you're thinking of a calling that God has extended to you and you're ready to say something to him about, okay, I get it. You can count on me because I'm going to do it in your power, oh God, and you're going to support me in whatever way is necessary that I might do it. Let me pray for you, please. Father God, you are calling men and women to serve you in a multitude of ways. And many of those ways have come to mind, even as I've been talking and people have been thinking and following with me. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might call men and women to specific responsibilities, places where they can stand up and make the difference that needs to be made, places where they can rescue others, places where they can speak truth, places where they can love unselfishly, places where they can lead other people to do the same, even as Esther was a real hero. On the front lines, Lord, Speak to your people, prod your people, raise up your people for the glory of your name. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us on the, uh, your TV, your television, your phone, whatever it is you're on today. I trust that God will have all of your heart as you walk forward this day and this week. God bless you. See you next week. Bye for now.